I feel like I'm so far behind. I went on a trip last weekend, 17th, 18th, and I feel like I haven't recovered. I played some games in the interim. I played some games on Sunday. I took off Friday and came back Saturday uh, for a business trip-ish. Um, had a Christmas party that they flew us all up to. But um, yeah, it was like 12 hours to get home on Saturday. And like I said, I hadn't recovered. And I did play some games. Uh, Sunday I had two. Tuesday I had two. And Thursday I ran a game. And Wednesday we had a game, but it got canceled. But I did some gaming stuff. So um, before things get too crazy this weekend, um, i would got to put some thoughts down before I forget everything. That's what happens to me. Anyway, it is Christmas Day, so Merry Christmas, everyone. And, uh, yeah, let's get into it. So don't worry, this is not going to be a mega extravaganza recap of all five games, six things that I did this week, but uh, I think I'm going to break it up. So here in this one, we'll um, have the game that I ran and then played on Sunday, and uh, then we'll have call-ins from the previous episode, Tales from the Nazarene, responses to call-ins from that mainly on the recap of the Barbarians of Lemuria. And then after that, we will have an unboxing and call it a day. And then hopefully uh, I'll be inspired to continue and get to my Tuesday games because it's kind of important, I think, for posterity uh, to get that going. So, uh, yeah, let's do uh, call-ins first. Yo, Carl, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's completely fair to say there was a 10 out of 10 chance your character was going to stab his own hand in that Barons of Lemuria session, man. Like, Jason laid out what would happen if you tried it. You went for it anyway. The attack roll failed. The acrobatics check failed. Uh, And so, yeah, you stabbed your hand, man. No big deal. Took a little damage. It's all right. Yeah, it, it made sense. Like, think about trying to stab your opposite hand with the big ass spear, you know, it was different from the stories you were telling about your military buddies flicking bugs off their legs with a knife or a sharp stick. You weren't using a knife or a sharp stick. You were using a huge spear trying to stab a tiny spider, dude. I don't know. It made perfect sense to me. Anyway, man, I hope it didn't ruin your game or anything. It was just a couple points of damage. What's the big deal? I hope you had fun. Peace out. That was Joe Richter from Hindsightless Podcast and the former co-runner of the Wheel and Woe, Wheel or Woe, Pathfinder 2 podcast and YouTube actual play. Uh, I I guess uh, maybe what's weird is everyone saw the logic of what the GM's decision was, and uh, I did not. Again, I refer to, you know, in college, uh, me and a friend perfected the... Uh, the bishop uh, do the thing with the knife scene. And uh, yeah, I didn't really stab my hand. 
I mean, it probably wasn't as fast as Bishop was from Aliens, but um, anyway, I guess we see people see things different logically, and like you said, it happened, it took a little bit of damage. No big deal. The game was really fun. Uh, Jason has some more to say on it. Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, up next. Hey, Carl, Jason here. Enjoyed the latest episode. I will say for Barbarian's Lemuria, at the end when the guy escaped from you guys, I probably should explain that better. Villains have a thing called villain points, and one of the things you can do with them is timely escape. The villains can affect an escape from the heroes if things are going badly for them. For example, Wallace's attention is elsewhere. The villain slips around a corner. He had ran through the door. You guys lost sight of him. You were dealing with Pazuzu and the other things, and that was kind of the idea there, but I didn't want to call out the, that mechanic. I probably should have just said I'm using a, a villain point to do this and called out the mechanic in that way. You know, because if I had let you make rolls and then you had spent hero points on the rolls and then you still were unsuccessful, you would have been unhappy with that too. So I, I should have explained better that I was using a meta currency. So that, that's on me as the GM. Of course, the other part of that is it was very late. We had run over time and we just wanted to get the game over. So that was part of it. But I mean, it was actually, it wasn't me just cheating as the GM. It was actually using a mechanic out of the game. I, I just didn't explain that mechanic to you guys um, for, you know, to, but that that's on me for not, not explaining that. But it, it wasn't just me cheating. But part of it was just to get the game over because we were already over time and you, you need a villain for when we get back together anyway. So, you know, that, that way that thread's dangling. That's always a good thing to have some, some loose threads. But, yep. So I hope I didn't ruin it for you too bad. I'm sorry it wasn't as good as it should have been. And, you know, I'll, I'll go flog myself now. Take care. Jason, you don't need to flog yourself unless that's part of your religious practice. Yeah, I mean, don't... Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if explaining the mechanic would have been worth it. Uh, I mean, he just got away. I think. I think sometimes as a GM you have to, like, you know... Let the players roll and then say, no matter how well we rolled, I mean, I guess, unfortunately, if we would have rolled box cards, what, what do you do, right? Then you would have had to say, well, I use the meta currency or I use box cards and tie it goes to the uh, the escapee, escaper. Anyway, so, yeah, it's a tough situation there where, you know, you use some sort of meta currency. If you tell us about it, you break verisimilitude. If you don't tell us about it uh, and just do it, we were like, well, why can't we just try to roll? Um, so who knows? You know, it's like uh, can't win for losing. Just one of those situations. But uh, I enjoyed the situ- this uh, game. I think there's some cool moments and some great things in that world. I would say, you know, just uh, I'd like to play again, really. And um, I will promise not to stab my hand next time in real life or in the game. But you got some more to say, don't you? Hey, Carl, Jason here. Just want to say sorry about those last couple calls. Those were a little bit woe is me as far as jamming Barbarian's Lemoria. I should have caught out the meta mechanic thing at the end when I had the villain escape. I should have just said that, and that would have kept you guys from being frustrated trying to look for him. So in the future, if I do something like that, if it, hey, look, there's a meta mechanic that lets me do this. I'm going to do it. We're already running over, yada, yada, yada. If I had done that, I think that would have eased feelings a little bit. I, I don't regret you 
having you stab yourself in the hand at all because I warned you ahead of time and I even gave you a save. So everybody else caught on to that, that it was a not, you know, that something bad could have happened. So I, I don't feel bad about that one, but I definitely screwed the pooch with not calling out the meta mechanic at the end. You know, even though I was playing by the rules, I should have told everybody. So learning point for me. And sorry about the woe is me thing. Merry Christmas. And in the spirit of Christmas, Joe Richter has the final words on the call-in, I guess, for this episode. Merry Christmas, dude, to you and Amy. Hope you're having an awesome day. I hope 2022 is a super fun year for the both of you. And yeah, we will talk soon, my friend. Get ready for this episode. Get ready for my Christmas episode. It's a very special episode that you might enjoy. Peace out. And what would a Christmas, for me at least, be without King Diamond and no presents for Christmas? That's the opening riff and, I guess, montage of some traditional Christmas songs with the uh, good old King Diamond cackle there. So, yeah, let's uh, do these recaps. All right, the first game I played this week, Sunday morning. Ish, so Sunday afternoon, actually, and it is a game of Cult Divinity Lost run by Kevin Madison, Dungeon Muser of the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel and uh, Media Empire podcast, etc. He runs a lot of games, runs a lot of cool games. And I, what I liked, just my initial impression about the cult, um, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game as kind of a base engine, although it uses 2D10 instead of d6 and i really like the moves and how it flows i think it is a really good rendition of powered by the apocalypse engine um it is supposed to be a horror game set in the modern time we are set in detroit i what i love about this game it's very evocative to me because i can imagine it being a screenplay for a television show um somewhere on netflix or whatever um george Strait. i don't know if you listen to my podcast but yeah uh write a screenplay about it because you're really good at that kind of stuff and uh like my character is named joey novak joseph novak he is of hungarian descent and uh he would be played by uh steve buscemi bulging eyes lanky wears uh you know jumpsuits all the time or in a big coat etc um we also have another player is play playing a character named Mike Anderson and Mike would be run or played by Donald Finn, but without the beard. And then finally, like uh, the other character, Sam Joseph, he would, he would be played by John Noble who played, you know, Denethor in the Lord of the Rings and Walter Bishop from Fringe. What I love about this game, other than aside from the fact that I can imagine what the characters look like in the show is that, man, Kevin has done a great job of pulling in some really neat ideas into this mystery. So how we pick it up is 
I have a bond, uh, Madam Yovesky, and that is a similar bond to what Samuel Joseph has. And I got a picture on my sent on my phone of a man holding a gun to her. So I had rushed uh, to her place. It is locked and closed, which is odd. She's usually open all the time, or at least the light is on uh, for these, you know, when you need spiritual help, you know, it's always 24-7. So my character goes to the back in the alley, sees Sam Joseph. Sam Joseph, he's had sort of a run-in before, and that Sam Joseph, Matty Ubeski talks about him all the time. And sometimes my character, uh, uh, Joseph, gets bumped for the Sam guy. So, uh, so I confront him, and uh, that's where we stopped the last time. So, uh, and then the other character, Mike, is not really with us yet. He's had some interaction with Sam Joseph, but not really with my character. And he is trying to pursue his, um, apparently his girlfriend has been kidnapped and she's missing. So he's trying to track her down. So those are the two main elements. Another cool thing about Occult is that at the beginning of the game, we um, we decide what's going to happen kind of an idea or uh, something that we would like to see the other players do. And then they decide for us too. And we decide one on our own, like what we like to see our character do in the session, which I think really helps uh, Kevin to plan uh, for what we're going to do. So in this case, I wanted to investigate what happened to Madame Yuveski. And then I think I was told, um, I think someone wanted to know a little bit about my past, why I'm being chased all the time by these, uh, by these people. So I don't remember the other guys personally, um, the other guys, uh, what we wanted them to do. I think I'd wanted Mike Anderson to find out what happened to his girlfriend or investigate what happened to his girlfriend and Sam. I'd like to learn a little bit more about him. Um, like what's weird stuff makes him tick. Um, anyway, we have this confrontation. It gets diffused. I think what's weird is he calls me by my name, Joseph, because he has a vision of his old partner who was named Joseph. And his last name is also Joseph, which is very bizarre and somewhat coincidental. And then I snap out of it, go, how do you know my name? Blah, blah, blah. So we, you know, I tell him, well, Madame Yvesky's in trouble, et cetera. About this time, some dudes come out and I recognize them as working as thugs who work for a guy named Mr. Pearl. So um, I hit on my, on an idea that, you know, I feel like Sam maybe is competent. Um, he looks kind of got, got that kind of rangy look. He might be able to be good in a fight. Maybe I'm wrong in thinking this. But then I go and confront these thugs of Mr. Pearl and um, and kind of talk them up. Hey, you know, I give you a good bet, whatever, whatever. Then they're like, uh, we're supposed to bring you in to talk to the boss. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. So I take off. And what's great is it worked. My maneuver worked. And I got them to follow me while um, Sam slips in. And there's another thug in there. And he hides to avoid him initially while I'm running around. Uh, meanwhile, uh, and we stop there because like there's a break in the action, it's like a commercial break, and we go to Mike, and Mike he goes he go, he calls her work, he goes to her work, and they're not there, uh, his girlfriend's not there, so he goes like okay, well, let me go check, get some stuff at my house, um, and he sees that there's some people waiting outside, uh, kind of thugs that he or thugs or hitmen or whatever, um, these assassins that have uh, given them some problems, both Mike and Sam in the past, so he kind of sneaks in. Um, he does really well at sneaking. He finds out there's a guy kind of sitting in his favorite chair, you know, with a some sort of weapon, um, maybe a silenced weapon or a submachine gun. Um, and uh, yeah, so Mike is able to sneak up on this guy and get the jump on him in a way, 
and he tells him to puts a gun to the back of his head, says, drop your weapon, uh, stand up slowly. They have a confrontation. And uh, he's like, I guess the man kind of calls his bluff and charges at Mike. And then we switch back to our scenes, which I think is a kind of a neat trick that Kevin used to kind of keep the action going. We kind of switched back and forth between scenes. So in our case, like I'm still running. Uh, I, get, I have to duck under this like garbage truck. Um, and I really want these guys to keep following me. I don't want them to double back. So I kind of taunt them and yell at them. And, um, and they're about to like gun me down or do some bodily harm to me. And all of a sudden there's this crack of a rifle and both of them are like taken down. It's very bizarre. Um, and as we switch back to what's going on with, uh, Sam Joseph, he gets into a brawl with this other guy and um, they're fighting, they're fighting. It's not going well. And uh, suddenly there's also this crack and the guy's head explodes as he's got shot in the head with some sort of rifle shell. Meanwhile, with uh, Mike Anderson, they get into this fight. It's such a cool scene and how the dice kind of worked out. The man charges them. They get to a scuffle. There is, Guns and pistols sliding around the around the ground. Uh, eventually, um, Mike somehow gets the upper hand and like bull rushes him, tackles him, spashes him, trips him into his like coffee table. And as the guy's getting up, Mike takes an ashtray and smacks him in the back of the skull and kind of kills him, which was shocking, um, but somewhat necessary. Then Mike skips out because he hears like the guys outside who were waiting outside are kind of coming to get back in. So um, I think that was the end of Mike's kind of action and scene in this particular episode. And he kind of, you know, is going to try to find us, I guess, or find at least Sam, see what's going on with Sam. But these looks like they are other assassins of an organization called the Black Hand. They all have a sort of black hand on their wrist. Um, meanwhile, Sam is like losing it. And he, while he's fighting this guy, he sees visions of World War I. He has this one vision that I thought was so cool that Kevin did. He has a vision that he's in this cafe, he takes a bite of a sandwich, hears some commotion outside, and he runs out and he sees his rather wealthy uh, nobles in this carriage, takes his pistol out and shoots them, uh, the man and his wife. And uh, yeah, that was so cool. Um, it was actually, we learned later, I, I kind of picked it up because I just seen a documentary on it. This was like the assassination of... Uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife, uh, the Duchess Sophie, uh, to start World War One, and Sam had possessed or was the guy who did it, uh, the Princep guy. I think I think it's Gustav or Giuseppe uh, Princep or something like Princep or something like that. I don't know the exact name of the assassin, but it was fascinating. Uh, we, you know, after this happens, uh, my character uh, Joseph uh, Novak he starts running back. He grabs the guns from those dead guys and starts running back towards Madame Ubeski's. Meanwhile, after Sam kills this last thug, he walks in, and then there is Mr. Pearl uh, with you know, Madame Ubeski tied down. And he's like, well, this is interesting. And I imagined, and Kevin hit on it, I think we were thinking the same thing, that Mr. Pearl is pay played by Paul Giamatti. Um, so, uh, yeah, there you go. we got the villains in this tale, too. <laughs> So uh, pretty cool. Um, some weird things happen. Madame Yubeski's face changes to be some sort of specter or man. Um, when up by the time 
Joey gets there. Um, Sam some, does something else. Like Mr. Pearl is not a good dude. So Sam calls on all co- somehow summons or through him the spirits of all the people that Mr. Pearl has wronged and killed manifest. And this sends Mr. Pearl packing, running out into the night. Um, then Madame Yovesky gets possessed. She is a medium after all. And this face of this man says we need to get the package and this package is important. And that's why the cause of all this trouble. And I think the packet, the girl, I think they named uh, Mike Anderson's girlfriend. She will be harmed unless you get the package. And I can't see any of this. So all I see is Maddie Uvesky rolling on the floor, racked in pain because the spirit breaks her arm or something like that. So I'm like freaking out. Um, and yeah, that's uh, kind of where we stopped. It's very bizarre. We have our next mission in a way run through Sam Joseph uh, with Joseph Novak, Joey Novak, and then hopefully to find Mike Anderson and his girl and get this mysterious package. But Colt is really cool. I definitely enjoy it. Um, these are my same co-conspirators, the players that we had that debacle in the Warhammer Fantasy Second Edition game where we lost to Chaos. But uh, I love playing with these guys. Uh, we have a great time. So thanks, Kevin. If you listen, um, fun times with Colt. Um, enjoying it a lot. Just when you thought there weren't going to be any unboxings in this episode, I get two boxes in the mail before I start recording. So the first one is a USPS pre-sort book, Echo Light, it looks like, bubble mailer. Um, It is book-sized, I would say a little shorter than 11, probably like 8.5 by 9-ish, 10-ish. Um, and 2.37 pounds. So it is from Prime Books. What book will it be? Andrew is out and ready. It doesn't look like it's easy to tear the bare hands. We tear it with a box cutter. Don't tear the book. There's a book. And which book is it, may you ask? Gettysburg, The Second Day by Harry Fond. So this is, uh, yeah, I think it's the last one I need for the, he has like a trilogy. It's like the second day, uh, second day, second day, book two, and then like a, another addendum. So pretty cool. Now I have them all in hardback. Now it's, I guess, time to read them. I gotta read them. But uh, pretty cool. Um, I guess the back here. The second day's fighting at Gettysburg, the assault of the Army of Northern Virginia against the Army of the Potomac on 2 July 1863 was probably the critical engagement of that decisive battle and therefore among the most significant actions of the Civil War. So uh, pretty cool. Um, Yeah. Very nice. He put in like a 10-year stint at Gettysburg, so he knows, I guess he worked there, um, former historian at the Gettysburg National Military Park, and Henry Franz at the, uh, did a lot of research, probably on the ground as well as looking at documentation, uh, primary sources and the like, so very excited for this. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. 
So the Henry Fonz trilogy from Gettysburg is Gettysburg the first day, Gettysburg the second day, and then Gettysburg, Culps, and Cemetery Hill, just uh, for posterity there. And I did get a second product. This is from uh, Studio 2 Publishing Mongoose. Yes. Ooh, I'm excited. Because there are some things that were pre-ordered from Mongoose that uh, hadn't got, hadn't received yet. What is this guy? And we'll just the cuts along the edge and in this box. Uh, good for them. Nope. Packing peanut. It is a uh, an envelope within the box. So this is a UPS envelope within the kind of standard six by eight by twelve box. And what book is this? Oh, this is the core rule book updated for uh, Traveler the 2022. I did get this uh, when Shea Webster announced his game, um, and just for my own collection of the updated Mongoose Traveler rules, although it turns out we're doing GURPS Traveler, um, so that won't be in this particular episode, but I will definitely talk about a recap of that wonderful, awesome episode of Traveler. Um, Traveler is one of the first loves of mine in the game, but uh, it's pretty cool. It's an updated version of this one. Um, I believe things are just reformatted and streamlined. I, I recently got a copy of the Hyperborea PDF, and it definitely is easier to go through as well. So especially, like, they've really done a great job in character creation of putting, like, all the different careers on one. Like, if you open the book, uh, they're on, like, facing pages. So you have the whole, um, everything that you need to know about doing a career, whether it's rogue or scholar um, or... Scout, they have them numbered, so there's probably a way that you could do this randomly, maybe, which would be kind of fun. Um, so, and they also have a really neat creating a traveler flowchart. Uh, start here, roll your characteristics, uh, background, pre-career, start a new term, survival, mustering out, uh, skill packages, events, advancement, continue adventure um, at the end. So it's pretty neat uh, how that goes. So uh, very much better on the front end to creating a traveler. Um, it's definitely worth doing. It's pretty fun to do. Maybe I can convince uh, my co-conspirator on character creation, Jason Connerly, to do this one of these days. Uh, but we'll see. So organizationally, this book, it does give an intro into charted space. Uh, uh, then the creation, traveler creation, skills and tasks, combat, encounters and danger, equipment and vehicles. Starcraft operations, space combat, spacecraft construction, then common spacecraft, psionics, trade, and then world and universe creation. So it definitely is all, Traveler has always been, even though there is a charted space uh, world or a particular world that uh, you could rule in, um, you could do this for any uh, far future sci-fi space opera type game in theory, just using these things, create your own worlds, etc. And that was that was the thing at the beginning too. They only detailed like one um, one sector in charted space, and you could do the rest. We've always had that wonderful um, stat line for a for a character or NPC, and of course they always have had a really cool world stat line um, as well. Trade looks pretty neat. Space trucking is a big conceit um, or a part of Traveler. Um, the UWP is what I was thinking of, the Universal World Profile. 
Um, it's a very cool thing. It's got, you know, that uh, planet using a single line of hexadecimal code um, that you can do, and it has like a, let's see, there's a starport size, atmosphere, hydrographic percentage, population, government law, and tech level at a glance. And next, if there's any bases, um, followed by a trade code, and if it's a water world or not, and then whether it could be an amber zone or the like. So, um, and the first thing would be the name, then where it would be located uh, before the UWP, the hex location on the sector map. So, yeah, uh, very much the same traveler, but uh, streamlined and updated core rulebook. <laughs>
who they've run into in the past. I had forgotten, but one of the players remembered that they'd run into O'Malley in the past. I guess he was there uh, when they were, did their kind of shoot, shoot shootout in sundown, something like that. So uh, anyway, so they get this notice, a uh, telegram letter and a picture and some newspaper articles that they got to find an agent who's gone missing at this place called uh, Easton Hill, uh, which is kind of on their, on their way, actually, to Deseret. Uh, they come down from the northeast. They're following the rail uh, out of Fort Laramie and through the Pat Mountain Passes. So um, we kind of did that as an introduction, a lot of info dump. They got some rumors about the area. Um, so they, when they get to the place, they, uh, they kind of come in their big old stagecoach, their armored stagecoach. Still, it got horses. It's not Ghost Rock steam-powered yet. Uh, so they get there. They find uh, they get some rumors at the place where they can stable uh, their horses and uh, their put their stagecoach, like billet their stagecoach. And then they, um, they kind of go and get rooms. Uh, at the end, the place is kind of weird. They notice some, some strange... So there's like electricity in this town, which is fascinating. The main street is electricity. They see in the hotel, while the rooms have just the oil lamps and stuff, there is like wires running through the room. So that's very curious uh, to the territory to Jake, the territorial ranger. That's a mystery they got to figure out. Uh, the hotel people are kind of standoffish. There's definitely like this idea in town that there is a, this, I guess the uh, East heads uh, Easton person um, who's in charge of the town is. One of those, I'm in charge and no one else is, and I'm going to own this town and own you. Um, they got that vibe from the stable uh, where they billeted this, uh, their horses and the carriage, and they get that the hotel people are pro this Houston guy. Uh, they did find that there's a restaurant in town, so they go down there, and they meet the, it's like, like Cajun food. Uh, so Jake, uh, so the downtime was kind of interesting. Jake is looking for the perfect steak. Um, my wife Amy's character gave how Sam met Hex, and uh, as a backstory, part of their backstory, and uh, Hex, we learned, plays jacks in her spare time to kind of work on her agility. And maybe she's always played jacks as a kid. So pretty cool. Anyway, so they go to this restaurant, and that's where we have the events, the exciting events of the place. Um, they meet the proprietress. Uh, her name is Millie. Uh, um, she is, they ask about uh, the guy that they're looking for, and she gets kind of flustered. So they know that there's a history between them, but they don't kind of deal with that right away. In fact, they deal with this weird dude sitting in the corner that's kind of eyeing them, especially eyeing Sam um, and Hex. Uh, Sam goes over to talk to him. He says, drink, let's go out by the woods. I have this like water full of ghost rock and it's going to make you feel great. Um, just come out there with me and my friends. It's very suspicious. Um, they play it up. They eat their dinner. They go back there. They go, well, if you drink this whiskey, then we'll go out there and drink the water. So the guy kind of gulps down the whiskey, almost throws up, which is very odd. And they follow him. It's an ambush, of course, but the heroes take care of it. Uh, between Hex and Jake and uh, Sam, they blow these people up um, and take them down. But the odd thing is that they don't, they don't bleed. They're full of this greenish sap, and they kind of dissolve into puddles of goo. Um, at that point, because all this gunfire is going on, Millie doesn't want any attention drawn to her restaurant even though it's kind of at the edge of town uh, so she calls the characters in and tells them that she knew the guy about the guy there lenny buckles the guy they're, new, they're looking for knew he was an agent and then they gave him she gave him the location of his house so they're going to go investigate that next but yeah pretty cool to get back into deadlands i really like the game players are fantastic um 
Surprisingly, they used a lot of their bennies in that fight with the plant, plant men, I guess, for lack of a better term. I guess plant men is a theme in my game, just like frogs are a theme in Kevin Madison's games. So anyway, um, yeah, we'll see what happens here in a Headstone Easton Hill the next time we play. Well, I think that's going to be it for the show. It's gone longer than I expect, as usual. Hey, and that's only two of the five or six games that I did this week. So, uh, hey, everyone, Merry Christmas. I'm going to get this out here on Christmas or Boxing Day. Uh, it just depends. We have people over now. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for the calls, Joe Richter and Jason Connerly. And thank you so much, TJ Drennan, for the wonderful music. So uh, Merry Christmas again, and have a happy holiday. and. A very happy and safe new year. Take care.